hearing this? Anybody hear that? How can we possibly have the slightest idea what to expect? Well, we're back. Hold on to your butts. Welcome to the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic, including the movies, TV shows, music, toys, and more. In episode 360, we continue the conversation with Mark Vignello, special effects artist and the Tyrannodon suit performer who worked on Jurassic Park 3. If you did not get a chance to check out Mark's conversation from part one, that was last week. Please go check out the last episode, episode 359. We had a great chat with Mark. Um, and today we're going to discuss more about JP3, including how did they get some of those like high wire acts going on that were happening in JP3 with the Tyrannodon suit when they're up in the aviary. There's a lot going on. Uh, in that sequence and it was really cool just to hear Mark explain how they went about rehearsing it or figuring out the scenes and just how they performed some of those stunts so I was really really excited about that and we also talked a little bit about if anything from the Lost World carried over to JP3 we hear about some other movies that uh, Mark worked on and of course what it was like to work with uh, Joe Johnston on this movie and honestly just how cool it is that we are still talking and thinking about Jurassic Park 3 and how important it is to the Jurassic Saga. So I think that was a really, really fun conversation, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. Of course, while you're listening to this episode, hit us up on Instagram, Threads, TikTok, and of course, YouTube to continue the conversation from this episode. Let us know what you think. Do you like the new format? Are you liking these new episodes? And uh, I, I really hope we hear from you. But as always, please check out our weekly live streams over on YouTube discussing all of the latest Jurassic news. We're hitting up all the latest conversations. We're talking about toys recently. We talked about um, the hatchling a lot recently. So much stuff. So please check out those live streams. They are every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. each and every week. Um, and then next week, we have a review of Jurassic Park in concert. I had the chance to go to the live orchestra performance uh, while they show Jurassic Park. Uh, it was very, very exciting. So I'll be telling you my thoughts and feelings. Maybe you'll hear from my son a little bit. Um, I'm so excited to present that because it was a really, really fun time. So I can't wait to tell you all about it. But for now, let's go ahead and dive into the final part of my conversation with Mark Vaniello, special effects artist and the performer within the Pteranodon suit in Jurassic Park 3. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park was create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more, nothing less. So that was that something that when you went out there, you you know you started the job. Did you want to more focus on the creative point of it, designing these things, sculpting them, or did you actually want to get out there and get into the suits and do that full time? I wanted to do it all. I wanted to sculpt, make molds, run the foam, and then I, I realized very quickly uh, that my skill set was nowhere near the level it needed to be to sculpt for the motion picture industry. Nowhere near. I sculpt. I am not a sculptor. I make molds. I am not a mold maker. There, there are guys that are literally artisans that, that do this stuff, and they are so phenomenal. So I happened to fall into running foam latex, uh, which is you know making the prosthetics out of the rubber, the chemistry, which is a pretty tricky, finicky thing. I seem to have an aptitude for it. I'm told I'm pretty good at it, and I got high. That's all I did for years. So I, I fell into that on on the Santa Claus, uh, which was one of the first films I did. A buddy of mine was in the foam room. And um, I was brand new and 
I just met this guy and they said, hey, do you need some help in here? He's like, yeah, I get that new kid, Vinny Yello. He seems like he's a pretty cool guy. Let's have him in here and help me. And that's how I started. I just had an aptitude for it. I just seemed to get it. So uh, that's that's what I started. And I was pretty happy in that department because I dealt with all the other departments. I dealt with the sculptors, the mold makers, the mechanics, the fabricators. I mean, everybody needed the skin made a certain way so they could do their job. So that was a very, uh, that was a really good training ground for me learning how to deal with other people's needs and still do my job so but um as far as designing stuff that didn't happen till later and i still i can't say i'm a designer i will art direct but again there's much more talented artists than i am but i'm very good at interpreting what a client or a director wants because a lot of times they're not sure and i have to kind of listen to what they're saying and then take that and translate it to the artists and tell them this is what this is what they want there's a very funny uh, T-shirt uh, years ago from Terminator 2, and one of the quotes, it was all these quotes that James Cameron said, and one of the quotes is, don't give me what I asked for, give me what I want. <laughs> and I thought, what a dick. <laughs> but then as I got older and got some, you know, I thought, no, that's my job, is to give him what he wants. Even if he doesn't know how to ask for it, that's what I'm supposed to do. There's a lot of other quotes on that shirt that are like, oh, Jesus. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was uh, that's my job, is to give them what they want. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Uh, so when you're working on like this sequence, was this like pre-staged, pre-planned, or did you just kind of go in there and wing it, pun intended, I guess? You kind of, you kind of winged it. You kind of winged it. Like, cause you weren't exactly sure what you were doing. I, you know, I mean, I looked at some of the storyboards, but it didn't really click. Like there's a scene where the bird's head pokes through the top of the cage or the, the you know, the, the aviary. Yeah. And I, and I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. And then I realized on stage 28, which was the Phantom of the Opera stage, which was kind of cool to shoot in, where Lon Chaney shot Phantom of the Opera, oh. it's like 30 feet off the ground. And I'm like, how the hell am I going to get up there? <laughs> and so I had a pick vest. I had it left over from Godzilla. And they put this vest on me. They put the wires and they hoisted my ass up 30 feet and then <laughs> plopped me on top of the uh, cage where the hole was. And they just directed me how to kind of poke my head through at them. And I just remember when they first were raising me up, I'm like, I am so helpless. And my life is in these people. So I don't even know his hands right now. Like I am Man. dead. If this thing, there's nothing I can do. I'm, I was as helpless in a, as a baby in that freaking suit. If like the stage caught fire, Yikes. which I've been on sets, that's happened a couple of times. Yeah. In future suits, There was no getting me out. You did not get out of that suit very fast. It would have been, if, oh, I can't even imagine. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, filmmaking, you do as pl much planning as you can, but a lot of times it's very organic and off the cuff and you just try different things and some things work, some things don't. Sometimes you have happy accidents and sometimes you're like, oh, I didn't work enough to do that CGI. So it kind of runs the gamut. There's really no way to rehearse, um, but, you know, they just trained us as hard as they could to prepare for whatever they threw at us. Wow, yeah. I mean, that set is killer. The birdcage, it's probably one of the best in the entire series. And that's what I was talking about earlier with the... Uh, with the world building, it's like it, they're just layering in this really cool stuff into the series that we haven't seen before. Um, plus, I assume it, it, maybe it was cool being laid up th in there outside of feeling like you're about to die. But yeah. maybe it was cool being laid up in there on top of that cage. Like, I mean, I don't know what it actually looked like in there for you. But did the scope of it like look cool when you're in that room? Like, it, you know, it just must have been big and bold, I feel like, on set. But I know a lot of it's digital, too. So I guess for you, like how much of that set felt like legit when you're in there? I mean, any of the when they're running through the the 
hallways, quote unquote, and he's chasing after them. And then I guess he, it's been a few, it's been a while since I've seen him, but I remember what I did is like he flew and then there's a shot where his feet land. Those were just puppet feet that I puppeteered and then it flies off again. Um, I mean, it was a pretty neat set. I mean, I'm still to this day, I've, I've been done this stuff for 30 years. I've been on all kinds of sets, been in Lord of the Rings, been in all these other movies and things. I still am blown away by art direction, set design, and how this stuff looks and then how it's made. But I, I'm still amazed at how they make it look. I mean, it was a huge stage, but in the film, it looked gargantuan. I mean, it was, yeah. it was the, the, the digital set extension and stuff was pretty incredible. So it's still, I still can get caught up in the films, even though, you know, one of the earlier films I did, I'm like, ah, I'm really not into it because I know where I was in every shot. But some of these bigger epic films was, um, you can still get carried away because you, 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 you're seeing it for the first time on the screen. You're like, wow, that was really impressive. So that, that was a, that was a cool set. And again, being on the, the Phantom of the Opera stage, stage 28, you know, circling back to one of my first inspirations was Lon Chaney. Mm -hmm. That was pretty neat too. So again, I got to, to check off a lot of bucket lists in that one, this one shoot yeah i'm sure i mean this whole spe sequence that we're, we're talking about here today uh for the most part it, it kind of feels like um lucky that it even happened mm -hmm. i guess in this film in the first place because it's slightly like a carryover kind of uh from the lost world yep and one of my favorite things that uh came out during that time period uh of the lost world was this glider toy with mm -hmm. ian malcolm and, uh, you know, the Lost World had a glider sequence planned with pteranodons and helicopters, all kinds of stuff. Did you know of anything that was maybe lingering over from the Lost World? Did you consult anything from that film for JP3? I didn't, but I remember when they started designing the pteranodon, they brought out Jason Matthews, one of the key artists sculpting it. And he did some pteranodon work on the Lost World. And he showed me some of the designs, and I was like, Ugh. "Like I didn't like, I didn't like how it looked. I like the one in Part Three much better." I mean, I'm not just saying that because I was in the suit. I, I do like the design of the crest, and it looked more sleek. It looked cooler to me than the one in that I at least the artwork I saw in the Lost World. I don't mm. remember a lot about the Lost World, unfortunately. I mean, that was kind of I, I just I went to it. I'm like, really? I just it kind of left me numb. I didn't feel anything there uh, when I watched it. But I think there was a shot at the end of the Pteranodon. Uh, that was yeah. all digital. Um, I don't know a lot about what happened there. Again, that was before my time, and we were just focused on. I mean, we had a year, and I thought, wow, this is awesome. But it was barely enough time to get stuff done. I mean, it was it was a lot of work to make those dinosaurs in that amount of time. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And um, to that point, uh, one of the longstanding rumors, I guess. Uh, well, I mean, maybe not even a rumor. Uh, it's kind of been well documented at this point, but it sounds like it was a pretty troubled production in a lot of different aspects. Part three? Yeah, part three. Um, was that anything that you felt on your end no, while making things? Not at all. I mean, it's uh, Stan kind of kept us insulated from any drama or anything that was happening on set so we could just focus on our job. I mean, I, I went there um, just to puppeteer the baby pteranodons and then get suited up for the, the adult pteranodon. Um, I helped move the T-Rex and the Spinosaur. We, we went in at like two in the morning and we had to open the bay doors and, and, and I helped move them to the stages, which was amazing. There's a video of that somewhere that it's so cool. Oh Even everyone's God. like, what are you doing here? Like, you're not supposed to be here. I'm like, I know, I just want to help. I'm like, this is so cool to me. I'm not even on the clock. I just want to see this. How are you going to move these giant things? Yeah. So um, that, that was pretty fun. Um, I didn't get to see any of the, uh, I mean, I saw the tests of them fired up 
on in the studio, but oh, I didn't man. see the, the, the final fight between the T-Rex and the Spinosaur. And I heard, I don't know if this is true, that they, you know, they, they choreographed everything. They filmed it. When they got what they wanted, they said, okay, we're going to go for it as like rock'em sock'em robots. <laughs> and I had heard that the Spinosaur actually ripped the head off the T-Rex puppet. And it was like hydraulic fluid and stuff spraying everywhere. If true, there's footage somewhere, but I've never seen it. But I heard that that was, uh, that's what happened. I don't know if you ever heard that. Oh yeah. I mean, th that's another one of those things that we all really, really want to see. I mean, well, maybe at least the Spinosaurus fan, not maybe not the T-Rex fans, but uh, <laughs> you know, I guess because it's, it's a lingering over animatronic from the lost world. It would be kind of yes. sad to see that get ripped apart. The, the, we made new skins for it, if memory serves. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the the mechanisms were the same, but again, the technology had advanced so f much between the two films, there mm -hmm. was no contest. I mean, the Spinosaur was a pretty amazing machine. And I think these things in the studio, even the Raptors getting fired up, I'm like, you could sell tickets <laughs> to just watch these things come to life. I mean, you could have yeah. a stadium sitting and just these things do their thing. I mean, it was it was breathtaking to see those machines fired up in the work. It was, it was incredible. Those mechanics, those animatronic and electronic engineers are, I mean, they're the best in the world. Yeah, I mean, look, to that point, I mean, they're really taking your words to heart because we currently have uh, Jurassic World Live Tour yes. <laughs> with massive animatronics out there. I had the chance once to go um, behind the scenes for that tour and stand next to the T-Rex that they had there. And, you know, it was mind-blowing just how big that thing is and, and how it kind of instills a little bit of fear in you. Oh, 100%. When you're standing next to that thing, it's just like wild hundred percent you're i would walk you know the studio was so big it stands you'd walk between places and i remember walking somewhere when they were were putting the raptor puppet and they made the raptor kind of get low and like kind of look at me and track me and it's i mean you know it's a machine you know it's not a living thing but it's really disconcerting because the, the way these guys puppeteered it and the way they made the animatronics it doesn't just move like it breathes it twitches and it all these little nuances it it's jarring when you see one of those things like because i would stop and then it would stop and i would take a step back and it would follow me and then i would take a step and i'm like if the guys are puppeteering they're riffing off what i'm doing but it was creepy man like to, to see these things looking at you so i completely agree with what you're saying oh yeah i mean i can imagine it's wild i'm sure it helped sell a lot of the actors um acting when they have that thing right there in front of them oh well stan said that actors aren't acting against our characters they are reacting to them and i thought yeah when that t-rex like bends down at you there's no acting required i mean again the rumor is is when it burst through the the windshield on the first jurassic park this kid's screams were 100 percent real yeah that they were absolutely terrified at that thing and I, I mean again i i don't know i wasn't there but i i can see how no acting required when when you're doing a scene with those damn things i think t leone said the same thing uh, when it was when the spinosaur was sticking its snout through the through the plane or something. Yeah, look, I mean, there, I know there's some tricks of the trade and stuff, but they do look like they are right up in there in these things' faces most of the time, and it's just like you got to do your performance and stay, you know, you got to stay calm as an actor and, and calm and collected. But to even do that, I don't know. I feel like I'd be jumping out of my skin most of the time. It's incredible what they're able to do, you know. 
but it is but it is great because again you can have happy accidents you can sure. again the, the puppeteers it's almost like improv and sometimes so yeah. i mean again i love cgi i think there's some amazing things i actually messaged uh steve williams uh on facebook he actually called me and we spent some time talking i said this is going to sound weird coming from a practical effects guy but thank you for your work it was pretty amazing and uh, we just we talked every once in a while. I mean, he's he's an interesting guy. And um, I don't know if you mm -hmm. saw the Light and Magic documentary on Disney Plus, or yeah. if you watched uh, Jurassic Punk, which is a documentary on him. Mm -hmm. That guy's. I mean, he's he almost feels like Doctor Frankenstein in a way. It seems that this thing he did. I'm serious. They got away from him, and it just changed the industry, and not necessarily for the better. But I'm like, you know what, dude. If you didn't do it, somebody else was going to. You might have done it faster than anybody could have, but it was inevitable. It was going to happen eventually. But yeah, he's, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild that like these movies are a fulcrum point for things like changing in the industry uh, so drastically. So it's it's pretty wild that we are sitting here thirty years after Jurassic Park and. We can honestly say, like, yes, it changed a lot of stuff. Oh, it, 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 it. I still think some of those sequences have yet to be topped. The way that that T Rex scene again is amazing. Yeah, <clears throat> honestly, it's uh, kind of untouchable at this point. Um, but another person who's who's worked really deeply in the industry as an effects artist, director, obviously. Um, what was it like working with Joe Johnson? Because he's made some of my favorite things, whether it's like The Rocketeer, Captain America, Jumanji. I think you even worked on Jumanji, right? I did, I did, and and uh, um, I didn't go to set for Jumanji, but I but I built some stuff for it at Amalgamated Dynamics, and they said he's very much like when an, when an animal locks, it doesn't move. Like there's no puppeteering, like it just locks and it stalks slowly. He was big into that. I didn't even say hi to the guy because I was in oh. the suit most of the time <laughs> and I was on a headset to John Rosengrant. So Joe would give directions and then John would relay them to me. But it was really just, you know, all right, we're going again. Try not to pass out. Oh. <laughs> like, okay, I mean, what do I do it faster? Do I do it slow? Like, nope, just do what you did. I'm like, okay, and just did it over and over again. So I didn't have a lot of interaction with Joe. I would have loved to because, I mean, he, he did Star Wars. He was one of yeah. the designers on Star Wars. But, um, uh, you know, and then uh, Larry Franco was directing because there was some second unit stuff walking on the trestle when it first comes out of the fog. But I didn't, I didn't have a lot of interaction with Joe, unfortunately. I would have loved to, but I didn't. Oh, well, you know, I, I at least hope you had like the chance to be in that suit and just like enjoy the moment. I'm not sure if that's possible, but I hope you did. You know what? It was an awesome memory. It, and again, like I said, as a kid who just said he's going to work on the sequel one day when I had no way, no concept of how that would even time out mm -hmm. or happen. I mean, that it's it was a real special time. And I really look back at it more with you know, fond nostalgia, like, you know, you're in it, you're doing, you're like, yes, this is great. But then, you know, you look back, wow, that really was special. That was really cool. And it was, you didn't know, a lot of times you don't know how good you had it. Like that was kind of the heyday and the pinnacle back then. I talked to some colleagues now, you know, we're all old, but we're like, you know, we were there at like the pinnacle of this stuff when CGI was still coming up, but there was still a lot of practical stuff. I mean, I think it's kind of coming back now. There's still a ton of practical work to be done. I mean, you know, originally, you know, we thought CGI was going to be the death knell for practical effects, mm -hmm. and um, it actually wasn't. And I and I think now there's a lot more, you know, embracing of the of the merging of the technologies. You know, like uh, Zathra was a film that that I think used a combination of digital and practical very very well, and it 
really hasn't been done that way until recently. I think now that that real marriage of stuff, because a lot of times there, there seemed to be a competition between the practical guys and the digital guys. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, you know, I, I was on a film recently with uh, this digital company called Crafty Apes and they're awesome. They are wonderful. We collaborate together because I can't do everything. They don't want to do everything. Mm -hmm. And it just works better when we work when everybody's friendly and we play to each other's strengths and that eliminates the weaknesses. So and it makes a better experience for the audience. Oh, yeah. And I, I think, you know, audiences had a great experience with this movie over the years. And I think it's just honestly, after 20 years, I think it's getting better. Um, JP3 is a movie that not everybody loves, but I definitely think it has a very good fan base of people that love it. And uh, well, maybe not maybe not the T-Rex fan base. They <laughs> maybe really hate it. But, but I think over the years, this is a film that has grown into something like really special for fans and is getting a new look, I think, after the, awesome. the most recent films. And, and JP3 was like, maybe like the last time that we got a movie in the franchise with, well, you know, I know Dominion did, but with these massive animatronics, puppets, beloved designs, it looked real. Every, it had a, the mix of everything together. And I think it's really aged well with a lot of people here. And um, I think it's really cool to just look back and cherish that time because it is something special, you know? I'm so out of touch. I'm so happy to hear that, that there are fans <laughs> and there's like Team Spinosaur and Team Rex. Like, that's hilarious to me. And I, I mean, I yeah. love talking about this stuff, as you can probably tell. So I, if, if any of your listeners have questions or anything, like, you know, let's figure out a way that I'd be happy to answer them because I love talking about this stuff and I love sharing it. And in fact, on this last year, last year when did the last one come out you know i was actually ago? i was actually ago. just asked this question the other day like and i'm like what is time i don't even know anymore when it came out i know it's oh forget it <laughs> it was like i think it was last year but it feels like so much longer ago <laughs> so i went i went to the opening night with my daughters and i oh, yeah. remember posting it on facebook saying you know 30 years ago I went opening night with this by myself, and now I'm here to see the last Jurassic Park with my daughters. And uh, we had a great time. And what's even funnier is later, I just wrapped a film in New Orleans um, right before all the strike happened, and uh, DeWanda Wise is in it. You oh. know, she was in the last film. She was the helicopter. She was awesome, and it was great to chat with her. She's a, she's a great lady and uh, a great actress. And I, in that moment when you saw like the new three and the old three on the, on the screen together, I thought that was really cool. That was really well done. So I really uh, enjoyed the, uh, this last film. Yeah, you know, I, I really love all three of the new ones, um, and especially the last one, Jurassic World Dominion. And hey, if the Wanda Wise wants to come back and, and, and you know, be a part of it, and I know they said the series is over, but I, I just don't buy it. No. There's, there's no way. It makes way too much money. Um, so I think, hey, if they want to do another one, Bring back to Wanda Wise. Oh, and I've I've heard of somebody who's really good at getting in a Tyrannodon suit because you know <laughs> she does she flies in airplanes. So you know maybe you could come back and get in a suit. You know uh, I think that would be pretty good. <laughs> better happen soon because I'm telling you, I'm, my back is uh, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. But uh, uh, it was uh, a blast. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I, and I usually ask this question at the beginning mm -hmm. of the show, but I'll ask it to you here as we head out. Um, and this is a very serious question here. So um, if yes. you were stuck in a kitchen with a velociraptor, what would you do? And would you make oh. it out alive? I'd kiss my goodbye because there's not a lot you can do in that situation. <laughs> I mean, I would just be like, and I'm done. Like I, 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 that's again, that sequence, that cat and I think it was in the first film, I was on the edge of my seat. Oh, yeah. 
And uh, um, I just can't imagine, I, again, you know, having been in front of those puppets and you're just thinking, God, if this was real, I, what chance do I have? It's faster than me. It's, I'm done. Like it's, I'm, I'm going to be an hors d'oeuvre. Like there's no, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I would just be like, that's it. That's, that's a picture wrap on me. I'm done. So uh, I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's what I feel like. <laughs> I would just give up. <laughs> Look, I mean, I think that's all you can do. I I, um, I recently went down to Universal Orlando and I went through the Jurassic Park tribute store and they actually have like that scene. They rebuilt it with the kitchen and the raptor up on the table. And I was looking around like, oh, my God, I'm done. I think I'm, I'm not fitting in any steel cabinets that I like. I can't close the door. It's, it's just not happening for me. I think I'm out of luck. I, I don't think I'm making it through that one. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. So, yeah, no chance at all. No. But, um, but yeah, I think uh, maybe we're better off. Who knows? Well, that, yeah, I, and that's awesome that now there's finally, like, seems like, the fans have grown up are now in positions to like whoever thought to make that scene to take yeah. pictures of that's brilliant. Like I would have loved that back in like 94, 95. Like if they had thought, you know, it, I, that's great that they're able to make these experiences now with a lot of the things they're doing in the theme parks. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, again, like you mentioned the walking with dinosaurs and the Jurassic Park tours, I think those things are just fantastic. And, you know, dinosaurs, the love of dinosaurs, I mean, every little kid, loves dinosaurs and i don't think it's ever going to die and i I will put money that there will be another jurassic park film you know maybe not this year maybe not next year but it's i guarantee it's going to come there's no way there's no way everybody loves dinosaurs yeah i don't think uh i don't think it'll ever die anytime (laughs) soon so i think you're right there but uh thank you so much for being here oh brad thanks for having me (laughs) no problem i mean it was it was awesome chatting with you learning about jp3 and and all of your history it was super cool any anytime you want to come back i'd love to have uh have you back to chat more oh yeah but for now, where do you think uh, people can find you online? Is there any way people can get a hold of you? I mean, I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. So if someone wants to shoot me a message, and I mean, I check it every so often. I'm pretty good at responding. And um, but, yeah, I love just talking about this stuff. I love uh, um, sharing it with people. So if someone wants to find me on Facebook or Instagram and shoots me a DM, I'll be pretty good at responding. Life will not be contained. Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously, but, uh, well, there it is. There it is. I'm, I'm simply saying that life, uh, finds a way. That'll do it for another episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. We appreciate each and every one of you for tuning into the show this week, no matter where you are in the world, uh, what you've got going on. I know you've got a lot of stuff in your life happening right now, each and every one of you, and it means the world that you're able to tune in and just take even a moment out of your day just to hear my voice or hear you know Mark's voice, whoever is on the show, whatever week you're tuning in. We really, really appreciate it. It means the world. And uh, I love that you're sharing in this love of the Jurassic franchise with us. We love it so much, and we're glad you do too. But uh, a huge thank you also to Mark for joining me for parts one and part two. We had this conversation uh, a few months ago now, and I'm so glad I, I finally had the chance to present it to you. While we were on hiatus, I was really, really looking forward to sharing these episodes. And hey, they're out in the world now, so please enjoy them, share them around, tell your family, friends. Uh, let them know, know Mark has some great stories about uh, just the industry in general. 
working with so many great other artists out there and and working on Jurassic and and just having Jurassic be an inspiration point, just like all of us, right? We all feel that same thing that Mark was talking about in episode one, where it was just like the spark needed to pursue something. So I had a great time chatting with Mark, and I can't wait to do it again, hopefully sometime soon. Uh, I had a great time talking about everything we discussed, even before the recording and after the recording. So thank you, Mark. Can't wait to talk to you again. But for everybody else out there, please stay safe. Be kind. Uh, we we, we got to keep fighting for just uh, everything in the world these days. We've got to keep fighting to live, to represent things, to uh, be a part of something. And and I hope you, um, you know, are out there with that good fight as well. We would really appreciate it if you're trying to make things better in the Jurassic franchise, working hard to pursue that. Or if you're just trying to make things better in the world, that would be even better. Uh, so please... Continue to make the world a better place. I'm going to go ahead and hand things off to myself for the outro. Take it away. Saddle up. Let's get this movable beast underway. Continue the conversation with us on threads and Instagram. Watch our content on TikTok and YouTube. Find us on the web at JurassicParkPodcast.com. You'll find today's episode show notes, articles, contributor bios, and so much more. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, our website, and wherever else podcasts are found. So please be sure to follow along and share with your friends, family, and fellow Jurassic fans. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We will read your Apple reviews at the end of most episodes, so be sure to spare no expense. Don't miss our Wednesday night live streams, toy hunts, reviews, in-depth bonus content, gameplay, event and theme park coverage, on our YouTube channel. If you want to get a hold of us or participate in the Jurassic Mailbag, you can fill out the contact form on our website or send emails and MP3s to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Feel free to call our voicemail line at any time to leave us a message or just to say hi. That number is 732-825-7763. Thank you so much for listening and as always... Enjoy.